Hi everyone, welcome to the second part of the March Madness special. I said that this would be a two-part episode, but I could see that it was um, kind of long, so it's going to be a four-part special, and this is the second episode, and we're going to talk about the East region in the bracket. This is the most balanced region, and this kind of deflates the winning odds for all the teams involved here. I have Texas as the most likely to win it all at 7.7%, Michigan at 6.3%, Alabama at 3%, then between 1.2 and 1.4 I have Georgetown, Florida State and Yukon, and also LSU close to 1% chance of winning the tournament. Um, Texas has the best value of the entire market for me at 2.7 ratio, so basically um, the market has uh, implied odds that are 2.7 uh, smaller than my winning probability for Texas and also Georgetown as a higher than one ratio with um, a winning probability higher than implied odds at the ratio 1.6 and I do like those two teams to face in the Elite Eight so in terms of bracketology advice this is where I think there's the most balance and the most opportunities to see some unexpected matchups in the Elite Eight but now let's go matchup by matchup. Now, uh, Michigan will face the winner of the play-in game between Texas Southern and Mount St. Mary's. Now get ready for some old-fashioned ball because those two teams do not shoot trees and likes to play in the paint. Texas Southern is a top five rebounding team in the nation, whereas Mount St. Mary is also good interior defense in terms of stats. I like Texas Southern better because the SWAC is at times an underrated um, conference and those guys haven't lost a game by more than two points since January. Uh, Weather is the star for Texas Southern, whereas Chunky is the star guard for Mount St. Mary's. Chunky has the potential to be kind of a legendary player at college level, so it'd be fun to watch him. And... This matchup uh, between those two guards that are the star of the respective teams will probably decide the game. I am going to go with Texas Southern here, 67% of winning. However, should they ever advance past Michigan, I guess that both of those teams have basically same odds of having a deeper run, but highly unlikely. Michigan. Michigan, I was one of the first on board with this ride, and I also was one of the first off this bandwagon in March. I was right in both instances, because I get on board when they look, start to look hot and come off the bandwagon, and then they lost two games with Michigan State and Illinois. I'm not sure where that leaves me now. <laughs> they lost to Iowa State, sorry, not to Illinois. Yeah, I mean, they lost to Illinois, but in the tournament, uh, big turn tournament, they lost to Ohio State. They have the hardest path to the final four among the top seeds, and I'm cool with that because it, I think it's the, the weakest of the uh, top one seed, number one seeds. Um, they did not as good as in March as they looked in February, for sure. Now, they might have lost also levers to an injury, and he's the emotional leader of this team, and his rebounding is key. 
Now, when it's on the floor, Michigan nets three excellent rebounders in Wagner, Dickens, and Livers. If it's not on the floor, they may struggle a bit against uh, teams with the length. Uh, this is a team that relies a lot on the three, but there's also other venues to scoring with Dickinson, Old Fashioned Center, and uh, Haley Brooks is an off ball player, and Mike Smith can handle out assists in scores. Um, Mike Smith is not a scorer. He can become a scorer, and I think he's the key player here, especially if Livers is going to miss games. He needs to be more consistent from game to game. He seems to be a guard which is very matchup dependent. He went off against Maryland, for example, but he was much more quiet against Ohio State. Um, and he could go down against uh, more athletic guards, for sure. Uh, therefore, there are some weaknesses in Michigan game that can be exploited, definitely. Mm, but uh, for the first round, I mean, 95%, if not more, of chances of advancing. The 8-9 battle is not as close as the seeding implies. Number 9 is San Bonaventure, the Bonnies. They are the winner of the Atlantic 10 tournament. They didn't play much basketball this year because of COVID, but they managed to look sharp nonetheless. They won the tournament, but they would have been at an at-large bid anyway. This is a very slow-paced team predicated on defense. Both interior and perimeter defense are quite excellent. They give up a lower effective go percentage than Virginia, and they defend better the three. So they do not have a real rim protector, but they have wings and forwards with sides that cannot rebound taller teams than them. Now, um, team leaders are in the backcourt with Kyle Lofton and Jerry Knowles, but all the starting five contribute to scoring and rebounding. Uh, they also support a great assist to turnover ratio, but we need to take into account that the A-10 competition is not the same as playing with the in a power conference, and they attended the a down year this season. So while I do like them, uh, we need to be careful in assessing them because they didn't play many games, and they play in a conference that this year is just not that good. Now, LSU is number eight. This team, if you had heard my rant in the previous uh, episode, shouldn't be an eight seed. So, some bonus has been penalized playing against them at Gonzaga. Sorry, Michigan is penalized because they shouldn't be facing a team as good as LSU in the second round. Um, they have a complete opposite basketball DNA than the Bonnies. They are a somewhat inconsistent team with two wide margin losses to Alabama and a 10-point loss to Georgia. But they're, when they're on, they're on. Uh, and they've been on recently. With Cameron Thomas, the freshman, gradually taking over the offense, scores 22 points a game now. Jonathan Smart, he completes a rather good backcourt, which runs an efficient, balanced offense. Do not over-rely on the tree. Can punch you inside with sides that forward with the Walford and Darius Stays. Now, they like a solid fifth players in their starting five. But they have two freshmen coming out of the bench that can become steadier contributors in if they make a deep turning run. I like this team a lot. I just don't like the fact they're going to face Michigan in the second round. 
quite a lucky for them. Uh, I think there's a 75% chance of them winning with LSU against some Bonaventure, which is unfortunate because the Bonnies otherwise would have been uh, a favorite of mine. The 5 12 matchup is Colorado Georgetown. Somehow Colorado is still a five points favorite if you look at the spread, but I guess many people would say Georgetown is actually a favorite in this one. Now, um, Colorado is an hard team to figure out. Uh, I would have said they struggle in close games, but then they recorded two close victories in the Pac-12 tournament over California and USC. Although USC uh, was tired from the previous uh, day when they went to double overtime with Utah. And then, or, uh, and then Colorado wants the final game in the conference tournament and they played a very, very sloppy game against Oregon State. Honestly, they look like a team that shouldn't be in the tournament. To me, this is a team that, in general, overachieves. But then there's some game moments when you realize that they don't have the talent to be that good as they appear normally. And they are a very slow-paced team. They usually commit few turnovers, thanks to a veteran book backcourt uh, led by uh, McKinley Wright, which is the star of the team, but also some limited contribution from Dishon Schwartz. They are the best free-throw shooting team in the nation, which may explain why they tend to overachieve, make your free throws, it's always a good path to success. They have a long rotation, but not necessarily a good rotation. Uh, the players like Orn, Parquet and Bate, which form the defense core of the team, and together with Walton, they occasionally play well off the bench or like in a limited role offensively. However, I can shake the feeling that if you can chop right it feels like you have done enough to win this matchup, and uh, therefore I, I don't, I, I get the results. I get they look so solid and sturdy when they watch them play, and therefore you, like, common sense will tell you, okay, it's a team that can actually make a run if they look this sturdy. I can't shake the feeling that they're just not that good. So, we'll see. They play against Georgetown. Here we can have a long, very long digression. He's the hottest team coming in the tournament. He, they won the biggest. In the house, the Pat Ewing built at Madison Square Garden. It was an emotional win. This emotional win can carry out in the tournament. In classic biggest fashion, as I say, two Yukon teams won the national title after surprising wins in their conference, the biggest tournament. This conference is magic. They always produce late bloomer teams that can shock the world. Georgetown is going to be my favorite team to cheer for the turning. Let's be clear. Now, um, rationally speaking, they have shown huge progress in March, but also February for the ones paying attention. As I said, begin in like last episode, uh, those are guys that I, I set my eyes on them. Say so they can actually win the biggest, and they did. So I was right. And. <laughs> The interior defense, the rim protection is top-notch. He's in good hands. They had this huge tall guy in Quintus Wahab, which could become a cult player <laughs> in the tourney. Um, at the start of the season, when uh, the team looked disconnected, the star player was one. It was Javon Blair. He was the only shining light until February. And he is quite a prolific scorer. Turnovers have been a problem for this team. But, big but, Dante Harris... This freshman point guard, he polished his game, Andre Ewing, and they improved a lot also in the turnover category. 
Dante Ellis looked like a star in the biggest tournament. I Honestly, he was off the map completely for me. And then they're a complete team because they have a Shudia build and Yamorko Piquet, which provides scoring, rebounding, and solid defensive intensity. Their main weaknesses in that they have an inexperienced, a short bench overall, because Georgetown has had problems with recruiting since Ewing start, uh, starts over. Won't be having these problems anymore right now. But I mean, uh, uh, I love this team, so I might be biased. Uh, but Colorado also seem a rather good matchup for them. So I have Georgetown winning uh, with a 67% probability here. <laughs> Enough uh, praising Georgetown for now. Then, next matchup, Florida State against UNC Greensboro. UNC Greensboro, they won the always competitive Southern Conference. Uh, they tend to be a staple of the 13th seed, this conference, since that every year they get the 13th seed. They breezed through the tournament after Furman was eliminated. People might argue that Furman was the better team in the conference, but UNC Greensboro is a good team themselves. They have a balanced offense, but rather inefficient, with bad uh, percentages in shooting. Um, but many shots taken per game, despite an average base. Uh, this means that they mostly exploit matchups across the court, uh, with Isaiah Miller, their main guy, major star, average almost 20 points a game, playing exceptional defense as well. Langley is his uh, partner in crime in the backcourt and is a good complement, but Isaiah Miller is their guy. They have good interior sides with Koval, a seven-footer, and Allegri, uh, which is a good rebounder and scorer. Uh, I'm not really sure how they match up with Florida State, to be honest. I haven't seen many games from them. I I have a feeling that Florida State match up well with kind of everyone because of what I'm going to talk about now. And I think that they have like an 83-85% chance of winning this matchup. Now, Florida State is the regular season champ of the ACC and is a fourth seed. That kind of tells you the ACC at the bit year this year. And for them, it's all about side, physical play, defensive intensity in a conference that excelled at this kind of this brand of basketball. So it's certainly remarkable that they could win comfortably the regular season title. And it's a kind of basketball that can win you a national title, especially in a field where the top teams look more fo focused on offense. Uh, their only two bad losses were Central Florida and Notre Dame, and they're not egregious losses. Um, th their key player for me is Koprivica. He's a senior which improved a lot this year. Could make a difference. He's seven and seven feet and one inch tall. Uh, still needs to improve his rebound game. Does not crash the ball with consistency. But very scary interior player to face. And then they have a very deep team: Raikon Gray, MJ Walker, and Scotty Burns. They are all polished two-way players. Two-way players. That's the key here. And they can shoot the ball. Confidently, Barnes was a top five recruit in 2020, in the 2020 class, and you could argue he still needs to show it that he's that good. And I do feel like FSU chances rest on him if he breaks out at the right time in this tournament. This team becomes a exceptional team talent-wise, which plays very well, and. Uh, 
we guess we'll have to see. If he steps up, this is a very hard team to beat. Then the 11 matchup, 11-6 uh, matchup is going to be between BYU and the winner of UCLA Michigan State. <laughs> now, UCLA Michigan State is not the kind of basketball game you think you'll be seeing in a playing round, but that's where we are at with those two programs. Now, UCLA, there was a time not long ago when I thought UCLA is emerging as the best team in the Pac-12. But then Mike Cronin is their head coach, shortcoming as a coach. In the inability to develop what he looks like a talented backcourt in Juzang and Tiger Campbell, he, they kind of leave me quite unexcited about their prospects in the tournament. Um, with the junior trio of uh, Cody Riley, Jules Barnard, and Jelenil taking care of defending the paint and a potentially very good playmaking in the backcourt, this should be a better team than what we actually see <laughs> and watch. Um, Instead, they over-rely on the trees, and Jacques is still somehow their best player most nights. Don't get me wrong, very intense player, the leader of this team, but he shouldn't be the best player. He should be the fifth best player they have. So um, there are stretches of game where the difference looks top-notch. If they can keep that intensity, stay out of full trouble, they are a very tough out for everyone. However... I won't be surprised if you get buried by a good three-point shooting team because they just are not that focused on defense. And I, I blame the coach here. I think that they need a new head coach. So Michigan State is another frustrating team to watch. This is like the frustrating ball, <laughs> um, a match made in heaven. Now, I could almost apply verbatim what I just said about UCLA for this team. However, Michigan State has three advantages. They have a more veteran backcourt with Langford. They have more star powers with Aaron Henry. And they have much better coaching with Tom Mitz. So it's March after all. It's a Mr. March. His teams tend to flourish in March. And indeed, they beat Michigan, Ohio State, and Illinois in the past month. It's crazy. But they also lost to Maryland twice. So, a frustrating team, as I said. Now, key player for me is Rocket Watts. He's a sophomore. He's been underperforming so far in his college career. But he has shown some recent brilliance, especially against Michigan. So, we'll have to see. Always very risky to pick against Michigan State. And indeed, I'm not picking against them. I think they have uh, more than 60% their matchup against UCLA. And also, I'm anticipating, if they advance, I think they're favorite against BYU. Now, BYU, number six seed, unpopular opinion, this is not a six seed for me. Uh, they're not better than LSU, Georgia Tech, or even Oklahoma. They split their non-conference um, games against the Mountain West. They won versus Utah State and they lost with Boy State. And they lost to USC by a wide margin. USC is another number six seed in this tournament. In conference play, they also lost to Pepperdine. What do they have coming for them? The fact that they play Gonzaga in the title to a competitive game. They still end up losing by double digits, by the way. So... It seems like I'm Mormon bashing for the sake of it, but I'm not. I mean, this is a team that over rely on 3% shootage, cannot defend versus other teams with similar good 3-point percent shooting. Despite having a big, huge man in my terms, the Dutch guy is a 7-3 tall guy, they still struggle defending the pain. They got blasted by USC when they met them. 
they employ a very deep rotation, but with very few highlights outside the core senior players of Arms, Barcelo, and Brandon Everett. They would be an underdog for me versus Michigan State, and even if they face UCLA, it's a 50-50 matchup at best. Now, let's go on. Texas versus Abilene Christian. Texas, my favorite team in this part of the bracket. I was not a Texas believer early in the season, but they keep showing so much resiliency throughout the season that you cannot not like them at this point. They are a smart team, and that's not a pun, because they get coaches Shaka smart, but they also smart. They won the Big 12 tournament, finally winning versus Texas Tech, which was their nemesis so far in the regular season. They beat them twice, but they won against them when it mattered most in the Big 12 tournament. Their only other losses are a close game drop to West Virginia and they lost with Baylor. It is difficult to play against Texas. They, they make you struggle. Good shooting team struggle against them, especially on the perimeter. The offense has improved from previous season and also throughout the season with Coleman emerging as the top scorer, but with Remy and Andrew Jones also able to make plays. My favorite player in this team is Jericho Sims. He's an awesome defender that can also become a scoring threat in a matchup against undersized opponents. So if Texas find an undersized opponent, they're the favorite for me. Period. Greg Brown is a highly touted freshman. It's not left such a big impression. It's also difficult to gain minutes in such a good team, but he's obviously very talented. If he gets out at the right time, Texas can go boom in this tournament. They have winning potential. They have good bench options also in K. Johns. They have an excellent roster. Very good coach with very good experience in the NCAA tournament. I love this team. I wasn't a believer. Again, they just convinced me. They play Abilene Christian. Abilene Christian is a 14th seed, which, once again, with another matchup, could make a lot of noise. They only lost twice in the Southland Conference and play a close game with the Texas Techs and Arkansas in non-conference earlier in the season. It is the first team in alphabetical order in Division 1. I felt like I should say that. I guess that's something that you cannot contest. First team in alphabetical order in the Division 1. The, their main strength is the size of their big man with Colton Cole, kind of a comic movie name. <laughs> Colton Cole, 7 feet being is uh, the top scorer and the second top scorer is Joe Pleasant and <laughs> this team has very good names I gotta say um, and those are two good defenders with scoring chops and Pleasant is a decent three point shooter to complement Colton Cole which is your typical center instead uh, there are an orderly efficient offense top five for assists in the country a very effective free field goal shooting percentage they are also top three in the country for steals per game. Now, these stats are certainly inflated by the super competition they face in their conference. And, you know, while their sides can be problematic for Texas, the Longhorns are too much of a good team to actually get in trouble against Abilene and Christian. However, again, if Texas somehow don't show up for whatever reason... Abilene Christian can win this game. And if they win, watch out. I'm just saying it. I still think Texas has an 88% chance of winning. But, again, watch out. Now, uh, UConn, Maryland, the 7-10 line. Uh, 
Yukon. Now, Jane's Book Night is the latest in a long tradition of big baller point guard setting the biggest on fire coming out of Yukon. Whether it follow the footsteps of Kemba Walker and Shabbat Snipier, bring the team to the title, I don't know, probably not, to be honest. But in terms of raw scoring talent, I believe it's in between those two players. He's not a Kemba Walker, but he's better than Shabbat Snipier. And he should, be, he should have a nice NBA career when it comes to that. He was out for some time, which allowed the rest of the team to develop. So now UConn can rely on a very solid backcourt with him, RJ Cole, and Tyrese Marty. In a lux- those are luxury, secondary option in off- on offense. The front court is quite it's excellent. I mean, Sanongo, Polley, but more so Whaley provide excellent rim protection. Whaley is actually the biggest defensive player of the year. And this guy crashed the board hard. And you know who crashed the boy the board the hardest? Not those three bigs that I mentioned, but it's Tyrus Martin, who is technically hard, but has killer rebounding instance. Now, the weakness with Yukon is unsteady three-point shooting, which might get fixed by Book Knight being back, by the way. And they do have a limited arsenal within the paint, despite the size. So very good defensively, but offensively quite limited. Now, Yukon, another team to watch out for. They are in this balanced region where it's very difficult to emerge, but they can play clean close games against everyone here. Would be entertaining to watch for sure. First, uh, the first matchup they're going to face is against Maryland. Total disclosure, I am a therapy fan because I spent a semester abroad there, so I'm biased either way <laughs> when I discuss this team. And this team, talent-wise, is not a tourney team for me. Uh, at the start of the season, I didn't think that Maryland would get into the tournament, especially on how the Big Ten was loaded. And But Mike Turgeon has had his best coaching job ever since he took over Maryland. Uh, this is a team that plays selfishly, uh, has great defense, Morsell, their Morsell is the big 10 defensive player of the year, but Maryland does not have great rim protection and also uh, struggles to generate turnovers. To me, therefore it is quite um, surprising see them defending so well, so efficiently, especially against the guards. Good guards tend to struggle against Maryland. Now, the, uh, the I mean, the problem with Maryland comes up in the, on the defensive side of the ball. Ayala and Wingis are the two plus scorers. The problem is that Ayala can go down against more athletic guards and tend to do that. And Wiggins is rather, in con- it's not a constant player. He's overall quite rough as a player. Um, his stats look impressive. He never passed the eye test for me. That being said, He's been playing very well past month, so who knows. Then there's the terrible tourney performances to the under Turgeon to consider. He's a guy that often gets outcoached within the game, within game adjustments. It's not rare to see Merlin go up in the first half and then got blasted in the second. <laughs> it happens a lot. It happened last year, it happened previous season, and it happened also this season, like last game they played against Michigan in the tournament, they went up 12, first 10 minutes, and then they got blasted. Now, they match up quite well with UConn, because as I said, very good defending on guards, which is what should do the job against UConn defensively. However, I don't see them winning this unless UConn 
under deliver. So I give UConn a 70-75% chance of winning this. Last matchup of this region, Alabama versus Iona. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Now, I already liked Alabama the past season. This year, they returned most of their core players, with the exception of Carol Lewis, which, hello, went to the NBA. However, they added Kinnerly, a transfer from Villanova, and Primo, a freshman point guard. Two very good players. Uh, th- those two very good cards add to a pile of talent and playmaking skills across the roster in this team. Now, Albert Jones is only the fourth top scorer of the team, but he's their best defender, best facilitator on offense. The wings have length and all shoot the ball very well. Petty, Shackleford can take over the game. Maybe not the same game, but they can alternate. And Primo is an excellent point guard, especially for a rookie, for a freshman. However, he might be injured. And if they lose him, it's a lot that they're going to lose. Then they have like players like Reese, Ellis, and Brunner are also important pieces of this roster. They bring complementary skills to the team. Reese is a stretch for. Ellis is a very good defensive player. Brunner is the rim protector. Now, um, since January, Alabama only lost three games to Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. And that's it. They can close out games and win close games. Their problem is that this is a very bad section of the bracket in general, and especially for them and their style of play. Very unlucky for them to be here. Um, but I still love them as a team. They play against Iona in the first round. Surprise. Ricky Pitino is back in the tourney, and Louisville is not. Uh Ripitino nowadays is a controversial coach for uh, what happened in, in Louisville with all the uh, conduct violations that happened under his watch. Uh, but even if he's controversial, he's still a damn good coach. And uh, he took Ayona to the tourney in the first year there, despite uh, the team playing very few games. They had a very long COVID break. So long Ayona has played only five conference, regular season conference game, then they went to the tourney and they crashed it. <laughs> so um, they are an unknown quantity, uh, also because they had many uh, players transferring in. Uh, that being said, Isaiah Rose is a veteran Polish scorer, able to create his own shots with a nice three-point percentage shooting. The rest of the team does not shoot the three as well. However, and inside they don't have much length. However, freshman Nelly Jr. Joseph has shown excellent offensive rebounding. And we'll have to see if this holds up against better competition, but these numbers look very well. Now, there's a lot we still don't know about Iona, which makes them a bit of a um, wild card here. However, it doesn't strike me like an upset candidate, especially against Alabama. Indeed, Alabama... I'm not sure why, though, but Alabama could be exposed against... Um, lower seeded teams. I do have this feeling. And uh, we don't know much about Yona. Again, I, I, I will pick Alabama to win, of course, here. Uh, with odds in the region 85%. But uh, in terms of bracketology, uh, it's not a bad spot to pick an upset against Alabama. I know it sounds weird after I said that they're very good, but uh, with Yona being uh, an unknown and Alabama... I have a bad feeling about Alabama, so that's um, that's it, basically. <laughs> and I can't really motivate it. 
Um, yeah, so this uh, concludes the West region, the East region, sorry. And, um, and yeah, tomorrow I'll put up the next two uh, region discussion, matchup by matchup. So see you tomorrow.